The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this weekly podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. Hi, this is Mike Rogers with another great Welsh Wire conversation. This week, we showcase some of the best business management insights gleaned from Sherry Welsh's interviews in 2021 with West Michigan business leaders. First, Amy Ritzema, co-owner of Grand Rapids-based Onsite Wellness, tells Sherry that employees who work in a company culture where they feel cared about are more apt to stay and be engaged in their jobs. You have an idea for something our listeners can do that will help them attract and retain really talented employees. And it has to do with wellness. So tell us about that, Amy. Right. So when you really think about retention and recruitment, so much of it is about how do I as an employee feel at the organization I'm working, right? So when we feel cared for, then we have more, we're more apt to stay. We're more apt to give. Uh, And so when I think about like well-being culture and retention and recruitment, I think really hard about how do I feel as an employee within this organization? And that well-being culture is such a key, can be such a key aspect in that. And if we can get that feeling and that culture within an organization, I'm all in, right? And I think more than anything, In the last 18 months, people are really getting a feel for how how do I fit into this culture in this organization? And I think that's what we're starting to see and the rumors we're starting to hear and the rumblings on top of not being able to find workers. There's also a lot of rumblings around this. I heard somebody call it the hiring tsunami, which sounds really scary you know, but it, people, it does, but that is what they're, that is what they're calling it. It's so yeah. true. Right. Because how many people are going to look back on the last 18 months and go, how was I treated over the last 18 months? That's right. And if it wasn't a caring, empathetic, well-being type culture, they're going to go look, Absolutely. this is the time. So it's I think we're going to not, over. we're going to see a lot of shifting of positions as well. So how are you going to hold on to your good ones and attract the good ones who are out there looking? I mean, ultimately, we want to find the good ones who want to move, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we'll talk a little bit more about some tactics and how to watch that. But, you know, I think it's important to note, too, that that well-being culture, you know, it's important in retention, but it's also important in attraction. I mean, sometimes that does get missed, that you are you are establishing your culture with a prospective candidate from the very first contact that you make with them. Absolutely. The emails you send, the phone calls, how you communicate, how you follow up, how welcoming you are to them when they arrive. Do you provide them with a you know a cool glass of water or soda or a cup of coffee <laughs> when they come in? You know, does there, is there a receptionist? Does anybody greet them and, and talk to them while they're waiting to be seen? I mean. All the different touch points that happen in that early phase mm-hmm. of attracting and interviewing 
a candidate is all part of your well-being culture too. So it's so, so interesting. And you mentioned something too about, you know, employee satisfaction. Right. Um, you know, that employee satisfaction is really um, about, you know, being passionate about your job and being happy and liking your job. But it's a super important component of employee engagement, which we know from HR circles, anyone who's listening right now is in HR, you know, employee engagement is the ticket to success. I mean, this is the standard by which successful companies are measured. You want high employee engagement scores because you know that when you do that, first of all, you got happy, you know, employees who say your turnover is low, but right. your company's running like a top, man. You're you're running a top right. performance. Yeah. So I love this definition and I, I'm going to read it because I'm going to get it wrong otherwise. So this is what I love. So um, a definition of workplace well-being. All right. So with that, it's um, creating an environment to promote a state of contentment, which allows an employee to flourish and achieve their full potential for the benefit of themselves and their organization. Yeah. So when we think about that, if if we have an environment that promotes contentment. Yeah. That's going to be huge because not only am I content at my job, that means I'm not looking. That's right. That means I'm buying in when I'm there. I'm present at my job. Yep. Next, Sherry talks with Stacy Paul, CEO of Array of Engineers, a certified women-owned small business in Grand Rapids and a member of the Michigan 50 Companies to Watch. Stacy says they recruit talent to fit the firm's core values. As you worked for other companies, you'd seen engineers that really had a desire to kind of move out of that box where yeah. corporate America had placed them to do more yeah. things, to broaden their experience. And yeah. corporate America kind of said, no, this is really where we want you. This is the right place. And people felt a little trapped, stifled in their careers, right? Yeah, yeah. So really want to do something that would allow people to, you know, really become the the best professionally and personally that they could become and to help help and leverage innovation and creativity with that. Um, And then the other big passion that I have is um, promoting STEM. I think it's super important for us to give back to our community, um, whether your community is your school or your your, your town or your, your state or your country and, and just um, to give back in that way. And so I think that's super important and to be, be involved with that. So um, create something that that was one of your, one of our core values also, because I think that is, um, you know, something that people should live by. And, and sometimes um, you might not give back because the opportunity is not there and then you do it and you're like, oh, that's not so bad. That's actually really fun. Um, Right. Well, yeah, and a lot of companies have a mission or or pick a a cause that they want to support. But for you, you really felt like STEM was it, which I think is pretty cool because, you know, we hear a lot about STEM, but uh, being a woman engineer, being a female in engineering is still kind of unique, right? Mm -hmm. And promoting STEM careers, especially for women, Wow. I mean, what an attractive thing for you to be able to do and to rally a team around being a female engineer. I think that's incredible. Yeah. It's really great. Although promoting STEM careers in general to students, you know, 
all across the board is so, so important because, um, I mean, that's really going to be our future, I think, here in Michigan, don't you? Oh, it is. And, and the thing is, like, STEM is so especially now and anytime in the future, depending on no matter what you do, whether you, you know, if you're a doctor, it'd be helpful to learn, you know, your system that you're using um, your, your, um, to, for your patients, or if you're an actual engineer, you know, of course you're going to use it then, but then anything that you do, even teachers with the technology that you use for your students, and especially in this virtual world that we're in right now, it's, it's so important. Um, yes. to learn. In cooperation with the Family Business Alliance, Sherry interviewed a variety of experts to get their advice on right-sizing risk. From Hungerford Nichols CPAs and Advisors, she talked with Kristen Spence, Fraud and Litigation Manager, and Katie Felver, Business Advisor. Kristen, tell us about what I think is a universal concern for everyone that owns a business, because everybody has payroll, right? It's payroll risk. Payroll is definitely a, a key thing to keep an eye on. Uh, one thing I would definitely recommend is uh, doing periodic reviews and checks of your, your payroll that gets put out weekly. Have someone other than the payroll clerk give it a look over for things such as ghost employees or duplicate mailing addresses, even duplicate names of employees. For instance, okay. You could use my maiden name and my current name and I'm the same person, but there's two separate checks right there. So, yeah, there's, there's so many places where fraud can kind of slip in, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And it, it, there are a lot of ways to catch fraud as well. So even though there's a lot of opportunity, if you prepare yourself, you can help reduce the risk fairly easily. Yes. Yes, indeed. Katie, you have a story that you can share with us about someone that you worked with that experienced some payroll fraud, which might give us a few more insights into what can go wrong there. Tell us a little bit about that situation. So um, I've actually had a, a couple instances, but one really was a, it was a small business and um, the business owner really entrusted his bookkeeper to handle processing all the payroll. So she would collect the time cards and she would enter it into the payroll system and, and generate the payroll. Um, he had such a really great relationship with her that he never really felt a need to come back behind and, and double check things. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that you can tell where that's going to go. What ended yeah. up happening was she, she really, she, and, and Kristen will address this a little bit later, but she was experiencing some hardships. And so what she would do on a weekly basis is she would pad her hours just ever so slightly, not enough to really make it obvious. And the owner just, he never caught it because from a cash flow standpoint, you know, payroll ebbs and flows when you have yeah. hourly staff. So it was. It wasn't ever anything that was just egregious, right? It was hard to for, detect. Yeah, and over a year's time, though, it was five thousand dollars. Oh. So as we were coming back, and he and I were like looking at financials, and and then kind of coming back, and I pulled some W twos, and it was like mm, something doesn't seem quite right here. So he and I kind of tag teamed a little bit together, did a little bit of investigative work, and 
you know, it was just one of those unfortunate things all the way around, many hurt feelings. Um, the other really just brief little snippet that I want to kind of share with you is I think when we think of fraud, we think of our employees that might potentially do something. Mm-hmm. I had another situation where it was a co-owner who oh. ended up processing a bonus that wasn't agreed upon at the partnership level. And and again, it wasn't like this huge dollar amount, but it was a couple thousand dollars at a time. And it was caught over a period of time. Very disruptive. Well, I would say so. And talk about eroding trust. John Ruther, Managing Director for consulting firm O'Keefe, told Sherry that business owners can right-size their risk and improve opportunities for future growth by tightening financials and making sure they have good financial management. You also mentioned that, you know, we're, we're looking over the horizon and it's cloudy and there's still a lot of unknowns. Right. Um, so for as, as much as we're maybe better understanding what some of the sea changes are and what the implications are for us, the future is still a little cloudy. Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, from a risk standpoint, yeah, the future is cloudy, right? But there's some things that you can do internally to, um, you know, keep the value up on your company. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, addressing this ESG, taking a look, making sure that you're seeing what's going on. Obviously, it's important to uh, look at current events, but then looking back into your own business, um, one of the things that you can do is uh, tighten up your own financials. Right. So take a look, uh, get your get your accounting in order. Right. Um, as you're doing that. And just to give you an example, mm-hmm. I was uh, working with one uh, family business where they just did a fantastic job. They were they were bringing in um, you know, good cash flow. They had uh, you know, great margins. They had fantastic you know, intellectual property and all the things that you always hear about from a risk standpoint. You know, they had addressed. They had all the customers that you can think of. It wasn't too concentrated. All those other things, but their financials or their their accounting was just awful. Ugh. And what ended up happening is when they went to get bought, um, you know, they should have been at you know, a, almost a five million dollar sale. But due to the fact that when the due diligence started and and there were several companies that tried to buy it. Um, when they got in there and started to take a look and all of a sudden there started to be some questions about whether or not these financial statements were actually reasonable mm-hmm. and some of the things couldn't be proven out, all of a sudden that dropped down to uh, when the a, a couple of times people pulled out and, and a couple of times people came back with offers, it was only about half. So wow. just, just tightening up your financials and making sure that um, you know, somebody can see three to five years of really good, solid financials that you can't poke holes in. Right. Um, it turns out to be uh, just a uh, thing that's really valuable to the business. Oh, I would imagine so. That's great advice. So, so important. Finally, this week, it's important to think about how a divorce might affect your family-owned business. Prenups and other legal preparations are a crucial part of right-sizing your risk, according to Paul McCarthy, attorney with Rhodes McKee in Grand Rapids. I think it's fair to say that everyone enters into a marriage assuming that it's going to be forever. Who would do it otherwise, right? But the statistics show across the United States that half of marriages across the U.S. end up in divorce. No one ever really wants to think about it that way. 
but it's a reality. So I think what you're saying to us is we ought to think about this in the family business too, right, Paul? Well, let's start with just the chances. So let's just say we have a a family business with four shareholders. And if the probability of a divorce is 50-50 for any given couple in the country, and of course, everyone, to your point, gets married and and they think, well, that's not going to be me. Um, But statistically speaking, if you have four shareholders in a family-held company, you're going to experience a divorce. The the chances aren't just more likely than not. It is vastly probable. Um, And so in my practice, I've represented shareholders in privately held companies to help them figure out the value of their interests. And as part of that, that has pulled me into the divorce arena when either the spouse who is a shareholder in a company is getting divorced or the non-owner spouse um, uh, is getting divorced. And we have to help them through that process of determining the value of the privately held interest. Yeah. And so you've got tremendous experience in this area. Um, It's really interesting the way you put it. I never quite considered it that way before, but you're absolutely right. If you've got four shareholders in a company, the probability being so high that someone's going to get divorced. Wow. That's big. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's near a hundred (laughs) percent. Yep. Yep. So. And and so think of this. So think of this, what, what other risk profile for a business? I mean, business, they go out and they buy, uh, uh, property and casualty insurance in the event their plant burns down. They, they, they buy car insurance in the event they get into a car accident. Those chances are remote and a divorce is a pronounced risk. But the human condition, to your earlier point, it's a negative concept. People don't want to talk about it. And then ironically, compounding the problem is the desire by business owners to keep the business and family separate. So they say that in the one hand, but by doing that, they're turning a blind eye and putting their head, their, their proverbial head into the sand and, and not looking at the risk on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. So you have some thoughts about how to sort of plan ahead for the worst. Tell us about That's that. right. Well, let's, let's talk about what happens if you don't have a plan. Um, so here's how it works. If, if, Business owners just think, all right, business and family is separate. Uh, your marriage is your private life. It's not part of the business. I'm not going to butt my nose into it. That's all private. Um, and so then uh, down the road, unexpectedly, uh, one of the shareholders is getting divorced. And then the business finds itself in a situation where all of its financial information is being requested. And the business owners, the other shareholders are like, what's going on? Like, we don't have to give this information. This is business information. Oh, yeah, you right. do. Oh, yeah, you do. So then all of your business information is being collected by the lawyer for the, for the other spouse, probably the lawyer for the divorcing spouse. You have two different valuation experts that are going to be crawling through the books and the records. Mm-hmm. You're going to be producing your financial records. You're going to be producing your, your lending your credit facilities, you're going to be uh, producing your forecasts. Um, and, and so business owners are, are, they go cataclysmic, especially the not the other shareholders who are like, what's going on? Like you need to get this resolved. Right. Exactly. Stop dragging us through the mud in the midst of your personal squabbles. Yeah. I mean, this is bad. This is, this is bad. And this information is out there for anybody to see it who wants your competitors. Well, so, uh, 
there's a there's a concept in the in the law called a protective order, and those are commonly issued uh, in the course of discovery, which is the exchange of information and working up experts and whatnot. And the protective order will keep that information out of the public realm. So if financial records have to be submitted to the judge because they're arguing about a point, um, those those would be uh, filed what's called under seal. So they wouldn't be in the public file. But pause that for a second. Pause that for a second. And just um, because people might not understand this. Litigation is public. Anything that gets filed with the court is in a file at the courthouse. You can literally walk up to the clerk's office and ask to see the Adams versus Adams divorce file, and they will give it to you and you can go right through it. Um, So the protective order makes sure that during the discovery process, that information doesn't get put in the public file. Um, But what people don't understand or appreciate is that Katie bar the door if the case goes to trial, because trials are inherently... Trials are inherently public and courtrooms are open to the public. And so uh, that forecast that you don't want anyone to see, that's going to go into evidence in a, in a public trial uh, as part of that valuation exercise if, if you're not proactive. Okay. So it is possible for your competitors to potentially get this information if it goes to trial. Yeah, that's... In the rest of the world. Yeah, that's not a good thing at all. Not, I mean, there's nothing about this that's good, right, Paul? No, no. And 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 what it does <laughs> is it drives up the risk profile in the case. Thanks for listening to our best of 2021 show. Be sure and tune in next year for more great Sherry Welsh interviews on the Welsh Wire. Thank you for listening to the Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.